Pray with me, please. Father, as we enter into this time of looking at your word today, I just pray that you would bless the words that come out of my mouth, Father, that they'd be your words, not mine, and that, Father, someone is listening who needs to hear what's going to be said today, Father, and that it would be an encouragement and a blessing to people and not something that's going to cast them down, Father, or discourage them. So, God, as we enter into this, I just pray for hearts of understanding and minds that know you. In your name, amen. Okay. I'm going to try to be quick on this one because we all know that I'm slow. And um, this is a little bit of a, a longer one today. So we're continuing to look at how we walk out the gospel. We've been talking about that a little bit over the last couple of weeks. We've looked at the idea of unity um, and how we're called to be united with God and with each other. And last week we talked about our walk with God, specifically. Um, And this week we're going to continue on talking about our walk with each other. So the, the passage that we read has to do a lot with our relationships with those around us. This, uh, the, the whole person of God lives in relationship, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we're told to imitate God. We talked about that last week. So not only does that mean loving God and like God, but it also means loving those around us in the same manner that we're called to love God. And that's core to our faith. I'm going to kind of flip into Matthew for a moment here. So Matthew 22, 37 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus. So he told us that those are the two things, the two big things. Love God, love people. And we see that repeated throughout, really, the entire Bible. So let's take a look this week at some of the ways that we walk in love um, with each other. I need to set the stage first. Um, We didn't read it this week, but we did last week. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 18 to 21 at the end of um, what we read last week. It contains um, the basis for relationships that are, are centered around the gospel. And in verse 18, it says to be filled with the Spirit. So we discussed a little bit about how or about what Um, It meant to walk with God last week, but it it also has an effect on our relationships with other people. So in short, we we build each other up. We thank God for for those relationships, so we, we give thanksgiving. We talked about thanksgiving. And then we submit to one another. Important note here, the topic of submission, because I could be lynched after this. 
submitting, it's, it's really important to focus on because it carries out throughout what we're going to be talking about today. What it means is to yield one's own rights for the sake of others. To yield one's own rights for the sake of others. Tony Merida says it this way, it, we, we turn loose our selfish agendas and live in submission and for the good of others. So keep this in mind as we, as we step into this. So the first area that Paul talks about with what we're looking at today is a spirit-filled marriage. Often when I hear this talked about, there is so much emphasis on women, wives, submitting to their husbands. But if you, look, if you look at that section, we've got this much for wives and this much for the husbands. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm not going to talk a lot about the wives submitting to the husbands, but I'm going to talk about the husbands quite a bit. So he tells us, Paul tells us, that wives should submit to their husbands. Now, remember submitting, what that means. A lot of people struggle with the idea because it sounds very negative, right? Women submit to men. But part of Christian life is about submitting to each other. And that was just, just back at uh, a few verses. So there's another side to the coin. Husbands also have a specific role in submission, but we'll get to that. Andreas Kostenberger, and I think I said that one right. I, I like to pick all the hard names to say. Says, while some may view submitting to one's husband's authority as something negative, which in the world today we definitely see that quite a bit, a more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. So it isn't, it isn't a reference to strict obedience. It's not, go do this, go do that, bring me my slippers. That's not what we're talking about here. Never in Scripture is there a reference to a wife's uh, relationship to her husband in this sense. But it involves several things that are found in the Bible. Love, and that there's a reference, I've got references for these things. So love, respect, assistance, purity, and so much more. Those are all things that are, are part of a wife's responsibility in a relationship. So if you, if you want the references, I can give them to you after. But it's things that we're all called to within our relationships. It's not just wives. Paul's letting us know that these things are especially important in a marriage. In the marriage illustration of our relationship with God, we're the bride. We're all the bride. And those are things that we're called to in our relationship with God. Love, respect, assistance, purity, a lot more. The list goes on. 
So yeah, there's, there's a big ask from wives, right? But it's, it's something that elevates women. It doesn't push them down and hold them down. That's not what this is saying. This isn't saying live in strict obedience. It's saying submit, which I should have written it several times, which our definition was to yield one's own rights for the sake of another. Realistically, I can say honestly, very honestly, that without my wife playing this kind of support role, um, hmm, I, I would fall to pieces. I rely on her because of these traits that she has. It's a huge role to play, and I can't stress how important that it is. But listen up, guys. We've got a really big task as well. It's not a bigger part to play, but it is just as vital. We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, what was our definition of submission? To yield one's own rights for the sake of another. I'm going to keep coming back to this today. Paul's description of how we're supposed to love our wives sounds a lot like that definition of submission to me. We're called to submit to our wives as well. We're called to reflect Christ's love for the church onto our wives. So again, Christ's love for, for the church. Sacrificial love. We talked about that last week, right? Where, you know what? There might be things that we have to give up in order to show love. There's sanctifying love. We have to love in a way that helps our wives grow in God with us because, again, we're called to grow together. See how this is all just wrapping into a nice little package as we near the end? And there's also satisfying love. So we're told to love our wives as our own bodies. Now, we take care of our bodies and we nourish our bodies, some of us better than others. But it might sound self-serving for husband or demeaning for the wives, but that's not the case. If we look at verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If we're one flesh, when we take care of our bodies, we are also taking care of our wives. So it makes sense that we would love them like this. So just as we long for intimacy, joy, security, health, peace, companionship, and community, um, we need to help provide that for our wives too. If we're providing it for ourselves, we need to provide it for our wives, too. And that is, that's a big ask. I mean, especially in a world where we are very, the world revolves around us, right? It's a very me-based culture. And again, it sounds like our definition of submission. 
So I'll move on with this, though. It's a mutual submission. That's the thing that can often be missed in this. It's a mutual submission. So verse 33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We are both called to submit to each other. And that loops back to the introduction to our relationships, where we are called to submit to one another. We are called to submit to each other. So then we move on to looking at Christ-centered families. So there's two calls again here. A call for children and a call for parents. Why might that be? Why would there be two calls? We're talking about relationships. We're not living in relationship with ourselves in our own little bubble. We're not bubble boy. We live in relationship with other people. So there's two parties. So there's a call to both parties in all of these. So for children, we're called, and I say we, because I am still a child, we're called to obey our parents. So we're called to do what our parents ask of us. Now keep in mind that there are lines. This doesn't mean blind obedience. This doesn't mean, hey, Jackson, I want you to go run out in traffic today. No, no, that's not what this means. What we ask of our children still needs to honor God. It needs to build up the body and honor God. So children need to obey those things that we ask. And so the statement is, is made assuming that what we're going to ask our children to do is going to honor God um, and not ask them to go play in, on the highway. So Paul tells us that we do this as children because it's what's right. And it's not just the Christian ideal. It was common for pagan religions even and Stoic thought there is a lot of thought throughout history of children obeying parents. And what's right also pleases the Lord, right? Colossians 3.20 reinforces this too. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for, it, uh, for this pleases the Lord. So again, what's right pleases the Lord. But children are also called to honor their parents. And this requires a proper attitude. It's a little bit of an attitude check. The first law that was introduced in the Old Testament with relation to people was honor your father and mother. And it's repeated in several places throughout the Gospels. So that really highlights the importance that it's placed as number, kind of number one priority uh, of how we interact with our families. And keep in mind that obeying our parents, honoring our parents, those things continue as we age. So just because I am almost 35, it doesn't mean that I 
stop listening to my mom and say, no, you're not important anymore. We continue to take their advice. We continue to listen to what they have to say. Because again, how do we gain wisdom? We talked about that last week. We gain wisdom from those who have the experience and the wisdom. Our parents are a big source of that often. So we continue to do that. And we continue to honor them. We don't just let them waste away. We continue to, as they age, we start to spend time taking care of them the way that they took care of us. So then parents. There's a call for parents here too. We're called to not provoke our children to anger. Easier said than done at certain ages because right now I feel like just about everything I do provokes anger and that can just be asking to turn off the TV sometimes. But we need to be fair and loving and consistent in our attitudes towards our kids. In the ancient world, fathers had absolute power and were sometimes very harsh. Oh, sorry, I missed a note here. Parents. Note that it's saying parents. So I mentioned that Paul was elevating women in the last, last section. Here, Paul is addressing both parents, not just the father. He is addressing both parents as a whole. And when he's addressing children, he addresses children, not boys. Because in, in the ancient world, girls were, again, looked down on, right? There was this patriarchal society. Paul purposely notes that it's not just the men and the boys. It's the family unit as a whole is what we're talking about. Boys, girls, everyone. Children, parents. But fathers, fathers had absolute power, and sometimes what they did was pretty harsh. Um, there are some reports historically that show that they would sell their kids into slavery, um, and they would even kill them without ever being charged with a crime. Which hurts my heart so much. I just, I can't even imagine that. A lot of fathers would even abandon their kids in the city. But we're called as Christian parents to act differently from the way the world acts. Colossians 3.21 says that we, we're, we're to treat them well so they won't become discouraged. I, and I like the way that it says that, so they won't become discouraged. Part of what we're trying to do is, as parents is encourage them. Encourage them in their walks with Jesus. Encourage them in living right with the Lord, right? But if, we, if we're not displaying God at home, that's not going to be encouraged. So we need to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this comes after being told not to provoke them to anger. So it's an explanation of what we should be doing instead. So we bring them up, right? We take care of them. We nourish them. 
um, which sounds obvious, but considering how kids were treated and even today sometimes are treated, um, not necessarily so obvious. And we bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're called to be disciples of Christ, right? We practice discipline to be disciples of Christ, one who walks with Christ. Part of our call as parents is to teach our kids how to walk that out, which is what we're, we're getting a glimpse of through Ephesians, right? So it involves both leading them by example and teaching them God's word. So teaching them God's word is one thing, telling them the Bible stories, but we also need to be involved in showing them how we pray, how we spend time every day reading our Bible, getting to know God. It's one of the really important things that sometimes gets missed because we can end up with the attitude that, ah, the church will do that. But we're called as parents to be doing that. And realistically, we, we all fail as parents at times. But it doesn't mean that we're bad parents. It means that we're human and we need grace. We shouldn't hide this need for grace from them because it's a great teaching experience. Again, we lead by example. We ask for grace when we fail. Kids need to know that people fail. But they also need to know that there's one who didn't fail. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, right? So that's, that's Paul on kids. And I've got time, so... This last chunk... I, I could have easily spent a lot of... Uh, probably three sermons, and I know I keep saying that, but Ephesians really could have been a lot longer... This last chunk could be very long, but I'm not going to dive too, too deep into it. Because of the contextual differences, it referring to bond servants, slaves, masters, that kind of thing, there's a lot more meat in there that we could be looking at. But what we're looking at today, again, because we're talking about relationships, is our, our workplace relationships, our workplace with workplace authorities, that kind of thing. So essentially, our lives outside of the home. And the reason that Paul focuses on these three things is because realistically, when you think about it, the, the relationships that you interact with the most, I mean, yes, your spouse. I mean, if that's on the lower end of the scale... We might, need to, we might need to talk a little bit. Your kids, your home life is one of the biggest parts of, of where you spend time building relationship. And then work, especially these days where we have 40, 60, 80-hour work weeks. I hope nobody's working 80 hours, by the way. I really hope not. But when we spend so much time at work, that's another big part of our relational experience. So we all do some kind of work in our lives. It might be volunteering. It might be paid. But we all do something with our time that gets us out of the house and, and we're, we're doing things. 
but we we talked previously about how we're all called to ministry through our work through what we do we are called to ministry every person it says it in ephesians so this part of the letter actually talks about how our walk with god should impact our working relationships so yes again paul references slaves um but this still applies to our, our, our relationships as culture has shifted. So as workers, again, two sides of the coin, workers and masters. I, I said leaders. Um, we're called to glorify Christ as workers in the way that we work and represent him. Because again, 5.1, imitate God. So we do that by working respectfully. So we do the job that needs to be done without grumbling, without rebelling and saying, oh, I know better than you, that kind of thing. We do the work wholeheartedly. So we work hard at the tasks that we're given. We don't just walk from one end of the building to the other like that. Um, We don't do just the bare minimum. We work willingly. So it goes along with the, the last one a bit there. But God's given us this work. God has blessed us with a position where we can make money to take care of ourselves. God has placed us in the job that we have for a reason. So we need to do it willingly. Don't be jo- <clears throat> Sorry, I left my water somewhere. Don't be Jonah, right? Don't do it grudgingly just because you're being swallowed by a fish and being taken there and forced. We also do this by working expectantly. So the ultimate reward is still coming. The work that we are doing today has eternal ramifications. And that's what we work towards is that end. So as workers, this is how we represent Christ. Godly attitude. As leaders, we're called to treat workers as, as uh, we would Christ. So we need to practice mutuality. Um, treat, treat the people who work with us and under us um, as we want to be treated. Avoid hostility. Right? Lead with fairness and not bullying. And and lead with Christ-centered accountability. No corruption, right? Leaders need to remember that they're representing Christ as well and, and are responsible for their representation. And we also need to lead with God's impartiality. There is no favoritism with God. Not one person matters more than another to God. They all matter. And he will leave the 99 to find the one. Again, we're reconciled. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate you. Oh. 
Oh, that's much better. Um, so again, we're, we're reconciled to one another, right? That is part of Christ's redeeming work. We have been reconciled to one another, and we are called to live in unity with one another. There's no favorites with God. So to wrap it up, oh, I'm impressed with myself. To wrap it up, Paul touches on these three big areas of relationship, right? Again, they're the majority of our social life, social interactions in life. But the principles can be carried over into other areas of relationship that we encounter as well. It's not just that, oh, this corresponds only to spouses, this only corresponds to children, workplaces. No. Those are the, the, the key things in those, those relationships, but they get practiced outside. Again, we are to submit to one another, always, in all of our relationships. So to sum it all up, yes, we need to submit to one another. We all need to do that. We need to yield our own rights for the sake of others. Because it's not about us, it's about God. We need, or sorry, marriages require mutual submission to one another. A marriage is one flesh that needs to work together in order to succeed. It's not the work of one party or another. Mutual submission. Families require mutual submission to each other. Kids need to follow their parents, learn from their parents, show respect, honor their parents. But parents need to show their kids the way. Parents need to show kids how to do that. And work relationships require mutual submission on the org chart, I said, because I really didn't know how else to say that. All levels have responsibilities to reflect Christ in what they're doing. Because that's what we're called to do, right in, in chapter 5. Reflect, imitate God. So my encouragement to you this week, take a look at your relationships, all of them. Sometimes there's a lot of them because by the time we factor in our kids' sports and, oh, I do this and this and this, although right now probably not as much, um, there, there's a lot of relationships. But ask God to speak to you about how you're walking with others. And listen, again, I keep repeating this. Listen to what God has to say to you about that. Make adjustments as necessary. If you need to adjust your relationships to reflect God, then you need to do that. We all fail. But there's one who doesn't, and he's cheering us on. He's behind us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your map that shows us how we're supposed to live, Father. And thank you for being with us through it 
as the Holy Spirit, as our assurance of things to come, Father. And right now, I just pray that what we've talked about this morning would live within the hearts of each person hearing it today, Father. That it would be something that they reflect on and that they would let you work through, Father. And I just pray that as our, our time of gathering this morning comes to a, to a close, that you would be with each one as they, as they walk out into these relationships, Father. And that as the week progresses, they would see how they can reflect you and how they can be imitators of, of what you're doing, Father, in the world. So God, I just pray that you'd be with each one as they go. In your name, amen. So friends, be blessed as we walk out our relationships with God and with other people. Have a good week.